Miller. On this week's episode of Tiger Turf Talk, we host Mr. Tyler Bloom of Tyler Bloom Consulting. What a fantastic episode this is with all the different aspects that Mr. Bloom has taken from his career in the golf industry and so much more and has created this business that is all about promoting, uh, connecting, and really just building on what this amazing industry has to offer to not only the people that are in it, but individuals that are younger who have not really seen what is out there for them entering the field and everything that comes with the job in the turf grass industry. Um, it was so such a great time. Uh, Mr. Bloom was awesome. Uh, he's such an inspiration to our kids. He has so much passion for what he does. It is definitely uh, awesome to see someone taking so much pride in his work and putting 100% into everything he does. Um, hearing about different clients that he's had, including most recently the uh, park at, at Central Park in New York City in Manhattan, one of the most prestigious uh, parks in the country, and it, it's just really cool to see how through his work, through his time, through his dedication and education, it has all come full circle to this point, um, with only 10 months into his business, having such great success, and truly showing our students what it takes to be successful and how hard work, determination, and faith in oneself can really take you far. Whether that's entering the field, whether it's starting a business, whether it's something completely off the map, it is just great to have someone who can speak to his experience and to his uh, business and our students be able to learn from that. So uh, we really cannot thank Mr. Bloom enough. Uh, Kids had a blast and we really appreciate him taking the time to talk to us. We hope you enjoy this episode of Tiger Turf Talk. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. Welcome to the 27th episode of Tiger Turf Talk. I'm your host, Drew Miller, with your co-host, Ethan Rice. Today, we have a very special guest, Mr. Tyler Bloom of Tyler Bloom Consulting. Um, How are you doing today? I am doing just wonderful. Happy St. Patrick's Day. COVID style, certainly not uh, traditional. <laughs> COVID style for sure. Um, did I get the company name right, or am I? I apologize if I got that wrong. No, you've got it. You've got it perfect. It's still, no. uh, it's a, it's, it's a work in progress. It's still not uh, probably what the end game, you know, name is, but it's a starting point. Absolutely, we're actually going to get into that later. Um, so you reached out probably at the very beginning uh, of our journey with this podcast. Um, I think it was after Dr. Goatley, uh, his episode aired and he was the first one. So it's, I know it's been a while, but we're really excited to have you on. Um, and with everything that you've done in the industry, could you sort of talk about um, just what your business is and how it sort of came to fruition over time? Yeah, so I have, uh, I'm an independent consultant in the turf grass, green, and hospitality uh, industry. And my central focus is really on workforce development, uh, talent management. And obviously, that can go in so many different directions. But, um, you know, essentially, the, the need for good quality labor, whether at the entry level position, all the way up to you know, I call it the C-suite, the, the managerial aspect. 
I really am able to provide search and placement opportunities, um, leadership training, apprenticeship development. So organizations partner with me to help them develop apprenticeship frameworks, build relations within the communities, regardless if it's in, you know, I'm working in Boston, Massachusetts, all the way over to Seattle, Washington, and all the way south as far as uh, Punta Cana and the Dominican Republic. So um, pretty wide ranging. And, you know, like any startup business, it's evolving, right? So initially, the thought process was, I was a golf course superintendent and developed an apprenticeship program utilizing Baltimore County public schools, uh, career and tech education programs. And we hired about 50 students over the course of six years and 15 of them are now in the turf industry. And so the, the, I guess the need or the pain point for most, whether sports turf managers or superintendents really was how do we get people engaged in the industry? And, and as I was having success with that, I started getting phone calls from GMs, uh, superintendents, turf managers, how I was doing this. And so that's how I conceptualized this is a legitimate business model. Um, you know, not to give away my entire intellectual property. We don't, we don't want to I, give that away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, listen, it, there's nothing snake oil about this. It's hard work. Um, you're building relations in the community. You're building relations in the community, right? So um, essentially a club or an organization engages with me to facilitate recruiting. And then it typically leads into, let's call it retention training. And that, that can be through workshops, leadership training. Um, there's a variety of different instances, just engagements, you know, consulting engagements. So you know, I started that in June of 2020 last year in the midst of COVID and a pandemic. Great year to start a business. But, um, you know, I've always felt that I think the saying is innovation, you know, innovation's the, the mother of necessity, something like that. You know, you're, I'm building something based out of necessity. And it it's, doesn't matter where I go, labor is a challenge, whether it's Virginia, Boston, Washington, Ontario, Canada, it's, it's the same issue everywhere. Yeah. So, um, can you explain what, what services you provide and how they can be explained to someone who, who's looking for a uh, consultation? So for the individual client or organization, search and placement, you know, so recruiting, I mean, I, I, I'm able to recruit individuals from all different levels. Like I said, from entry level all the way up to C-suite. Um, so that's obviously a service. I help build relationships with the communities. And so I may, I may participate in outreach events. Um, I create apprenticeship programs for for organizations and I represent them at the state level and the local level. Um, you're getting, you're getting some background noise from my, my two little daughters, um, three and three and one. So hang tight with me. (laughs) Um, and then, and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then like, you know, I also provide online consulting, um, which has been a lot of fun. I have an assistant training program where I coach assistant managers across the country on a variety of things from resume building, 
uh, how to build a portfolio, interviewing skills, just professional development training and coaching. So I would say those are the you know three keys of of what most businesses engage engage me with. So you were discussing sort of the apprenticeship that you made with the Maryland County Schools, which is re- really what we. We're not like an apprenticeship. Uh, we've been approached by different people trying to set it up, but we, we really work in our program to place students, you know, where they, where they want to go, you know, whether it's uh, sports turf, golf, lawn uh, care, uh, nurseries, greenhouses, whatever it is, we're trying to place those kids where they want to for the summer, just to get a little experience. Um, what is your educational background in to get you to this point where you, again, were a superintendent and then by developing this program, uh, I actually read some, you have a, bu- a bunch of different uh, certificates and different things. Could you sort of explain how you sort of developed your knowledge uh, and where that those different uh, educational backgrounds have applied to your business in a sense? Yeah, for sure. Well, by by craft and by trade, I learned a lot of this, honestly, through practical experience, um, having gone through this, building it literally from the ground up. But um, I was supported through an executive certificate from Cornell University on talent acquisition and recruitment. And so that really gave me, I would say, tools and frameworks to uh, structure this so whatever company I go into or organization doesn't matter if it's your local mom and pop type organization or it's your you know top 500 top 100 fortune fortune 500 company that system and that process translates just you know you're changing some of the parameters in you know, size of business systems are pretty similar and then um you know, ironically, through that education with Cornell, it led me to a, a company called the Predictive Index, which is a talent optimization company where they utilize personality assessments, cognitive ass- assessments um, as sort of a, a framework and a backbone, along with data analytics to help you build teams. So instead of using gut reaction to an interview process, you're using people analytics, people data um, to help frame and design your team. Very different than, you know, right now, I think most people, they, they put a job posting up and hope for the best, right? So there's a real integrated and scientific approach to talent acquisition. That so, makes sense. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, that was a great explanation. Um, so you're doing a lot with uh, recruiting and retaining workers in the green industry. Can you kind of give a, a specific explanation of like the things you're doing specifically to retain them and, and how you emphasize the importance of this? Yeah. So I think it always starts with your workplace culture, right? Having a place where people are inspired, motivated, there's clear instruction, uh, there's clear organizational structure, how people can come into a, a system and be onboarded properly. They're going to be coached up, mentored. And it's given those organizations uh, a developmental system utilizing apprenticeship um, sort of as a, I call it pay for performance structure versus most businesses are 
paying for potential. They don't really have a true structured developmental system. They just kind of fly at the seat of their pants. And we all know that just doesn't work. I mean, so, so most people just don't have the time to develop that, that structure. That's essentially what they're paying me as well for. It's a key benefit or feature to what, what I do is help them create that template. Right. Um, but you know, there's, there's other things. A lot of times those consulting arrangements are just, you know, how are you communicating to your staff? How are you, are you implementing any sort of engagement, uh, engagement opportunities, whether it's continued education, it could be team building exercises. Um, you know, the simplest things go the longest way. And we used to do almost monthly, uh, I would call them team building exercises. So it could be going out on the golf course and hitting, hitting putts on our practice green or chipping out of the bunker in our short game. It could be bowling events, you know, some sort of team camaraderie sort of event. And, you know, what I often find with most businesses is there's no, again, there's no structure. It's so ad hoc that it's hard for employees, I think, to stay committed and stay engaged if they don't feel like there's a bigger purpose than just, you know, clocking in and clocking out. And then you can scale that all the way up to offering continued education. But that doesn't need to be a, you know, a two-year or four-year degree program. It could be something as simple as going to the Virginia Turfgrass Council, you know, has their annual meeting. Something like that, that doesn't really cost a whole lot of money. But for somebody who's just engaged in the industry, it can mean a, it can mean a lot, right? So those are some of the, the simple retention strategies. I mean, honestly, it's oftentimes just person, based off personality, being a little bit more self-aware of how they're communicating to staff or making sure that the right people are in the right seat and not doing things that they're just not you know, motivated or driven to do. So it's, um, you know, again, it's, it's a very integrated approach. Every place is a little bit different. It's never a cookie cutter approach to it. It's very customizable, but those are some of the, you know, basic strategies. Absolutely. And we try and teach our kids that with, uh, again, maybe it's a holiday Thanksgiving thing and a normal year that is when we can all bring something and enjoy the time. Um, so again, I think that's awesome. Um, and really with everything that you, you work towards and your business and what you've done over the past year, even before then, uh, I've seen a few things going around about again, social media and dealing with making connections. I think it's probably one of the most, uh, what's the right word for it? Uh, underestimated, uh, things of value to one's career is to be able to develop that network like you do for these people. Um, what I'm sort of curious about, they are asking for your help in making these connections. How do you sort of individualize it and focus on their needs into what your normal sort of business uh, plan is in a sense of making those connections? How do you sort of customize it to the, the clients that you have? Yeah, it's really interesting. So like I was saying, whether I'm in Boston or Seattle, Washington, um, that framework and that method, right, um, is the same. It's the same process, state to state, region to region, right? So that I start at the, let's call it at the state level, and then I'm able to make those connections 
filter that down down to it could be a it could be a high school it could be a community college it could be a chamber of commerce it all depends right it just depends on the local region um you know and population certainly has something to do with that as well like you know i'll give you an example here i'm located in central pennsylvania and my daughters are giving you um animal noises so i hope you're really enjoying this we love it (laughs) they love they love messing with daddy when he's on the phone oh what other time would there be you know (laughs) yeah exactly oh it's like they team up against me They, they know what they're doing Yep. I don't think, I don't think that but, ends um, speaking to the high school students. Yeah. I think they still do that to their parents. So I don't think that'll ever end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyways, like look where I'm located at, for instance, it's rural Pennsylvania. You don't have the demographics that you're going to have in Scranton, Pennsylvania, or, or let's call it Bethesda, Maryland, totally different demographic. So my focus points here might be veterans groups, and it's, and it's the local high schools. They just don't have the draw of people. But I still start at the same process at the state level and work my way down to the local area. Sounds great. And sort of- I don't know with, if that makes sense. No, for sure. And I, I love how you're talking about how like, it's the same framework, but depending on sort of needs and sort of the space that you have in the, in sort of capacity of people you can like reach is different based on rural versus urban type of thing. Is that probably the best way of putting it? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. And I think, you know, you've got to look at, you've got to look, you've got to also look at the organization and what their goals are, right. And, and who they are. So for instance, you know, I'm going to engage in a, a club that's let's call it a top 100 club is going to engage me a little bit differently than what, the local private club in Berwick, Pennsylvania is going to engage me with. It's a different pool. It's a different style of work. It's a different expectation, right? So their expectations at that top 100 level club, you know, they're looking for career minded individuals. Typically the arrangement is more on Learn a system, not not entry level type workers. So they're looking for me to give them guidance of how they can attract uh, qualified, educated professional. Whereas in Berwick, Pennsylvania, they're looking for somebody who's just dedicated and okay with having to teach people, you know, the industry. Uh, I don't want to call it sophistication level. That's not the answer, but experience level. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And perfect. So again, with all these different people you work with, and I actually saw on your website, there's a job posting uh, for Central Park, New York City, which is, it's probably a very lucrative job. Um, How exactly do you specifically make these connections? Do they reach out to you? Are you sort of maybe in like a system where people can see your your business and be like, oh, maybe that's someone we can work with to find the right person to take care of, again, one of the most iconic parks in the world when you're talking about, uh, again, any state park, you know, it's, it's, what is that sort of like for your company and how do you go about ensuring that you have that next client in your business? 
it's very interesting how things having uh, evolved and a lot of it's word of mouth, right? So it's a connection from one person to, to another. And, and I think a lot of it comes down to one proven results. You know, nobody's going to refer me to uh, an organization like Central Park if, if I don't have credibility, right? And that credibility wasn't just as a superintendent. It's credibility within the business clients that I have. Um, whether that's, like I said, at a low private club, low end private club or, or the elite level clubs, doesn't matter. It's the same, you know, I, I feel pretty good that my relationships with each of my clients is very personalized and I'm just as invested into, you know, the local mom and pop as I am those elite level fortune 500 type opportunities. So it's word of mouth. And I think, you know, I put myself out there, whether it's speaking at webinars, industry webinars, education events. You know, certainly the, my internal marketing on social media, using LinkedIn, um, again, you, you know, the power of social media, just, you know, somebody likes something that you post, they retweet it, they share it, somebody else friends you. It's just sort of that natural organic referral system is, is really how I feel I've been able to grow my business. Not And again, it's not from pouring thousands of dollars into marketing. It's really about relationship management. So that's how Central Park came to me, for instance. Like, ironically, the person who referred me was somebody who I met over a year ago, um, speaking at an at a education program in New Jersey. I had no business relationship with that individual. And, um, you know, when Central Park kind of was... I'm going to say they were whiffing on, on finding candidates. They needed to find an outside source to help them. And, um, you know, it's not surprising to me because it's such a specialized role. It's such a niche industry that they need some outside help because it's so technically driven. Um, and I don't, I'm, I'm surprised more and more facilities and clubs don't utilize Again, I'm not trying to upsell myself, but there's many people that can give them guidance um, versus making a gut instinct reaction. So, you know, I think it's as well being, I, I think I'm approachable. And I think I, my perspective is based off of my career path. You know, I've been at those elite level facilities and I've also been at a place that, you know, quite frankly, was struggling financially to make ends meet. So my perspectives of those kind of candidates and the, and the experiences those people have, I think is really valuable. You know, when an organization is looking at somebody who has a, a global vision of the industry and my reach is, like I said, my reach is international. It's not just Pennsylvania, it's international. I mean, I spoke at, a, at the uh, European, uh, the, the British International Greenskeepers Association meeting. So, you know, I think that network and that access to that network is really valuable. Yeah, that was a that was a good explanation. You know, you can't you can't teach uh, experience, so it's a it's a great lesson. Um, how have you seen the uh, the overall growth with the group you have you've worked with uh, when it comes to taking what you're teaching and implementing them into the workplace? So, on the recruitment side of things, I would tell you, well, I, I would just say my cut or the clients would tell you that they've never been in this position going into the season where they're if they're not fully staffed, 
they're two months ahead of where they normally are. You know, so there's a metric. Um, I would tell you that one, like a client that I've worked with for a little over a year would say that I've given them some organizational tools and frameworks to make them more efficient. Definitely from a retention standpoint, probably would have lost a key, a key assistant manager. Had I, you know, it's not all on me, but we work together collaboratively as a team. And I think it, you know, it helped bridge some gaps that they had within their, you know, management team. So I think those are some great metrics. I mean, you know, I could certainly look at how many candidates are coming into jobs, you know, for whether it's those executive searches, not just Central Park, but two golf course superintendent searches. I mean, the depth of candidates is was pretty impressive. I know the first superintendent's job that I conducted back in October, November at a facility called Manufacturers Golf and Country Club the final of the final 10, you know, let's call it the top 10. Six out of those 10 candidates all landed superintendent jobs this winter and off season. So it's pretty impressive to say like six out of 10 people here all landed either better jobs or they landed their first superintendent's job. And I think that says something about the depth of, you know, my network. Absolutely. That's, that's impressive. You know, <laughs> That, that's hard to do just to land one, you know, and that's, that's six out of 10. So that's, that's awesome. Um, sort of talking with, like you said, say to that, sorry, go ahead. So, sorry about that. I would also no, say our, yep, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're good. Sorry. Um, I would also say the assistant program that I've been coaching on the resume building an aspect we've been through, I think I'm on my fourth cohort right now. We've got about 40 plus assistants from all over the country that have participated. And of those 40, five of them have all landed their first superintendent's jobs here this off season. That's, so that's, it's kind of cool. That's awesome. And it's, it's great to see that, that development, you know, um, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, can you sort of discuss, again, you were talking about how it's more of like a, experiential type of thing, being able to experience the things. Can you discuss how your time as a superintendent uh, working with your crew and your uh, members, can you sort of ha talk to how that translated to what you're doing with these, again, like you said, cohorts, assistants, superintendents, all the way down to high school students. How have you seen sort of what you did as a superintendent translate into your business? Oh, man, there's so many different factors. Um, you know, again, relationship management and how to build relationships with people is so critical. The communication skills um, really translate. Definitely from an organizational standpoint, that's probably the, the biggest challenge that I have is every day is a different day in what I'm doing because I'm getting engaged with different levels of organizations, different people that have different perspectives on leadership and management and recruiting, right? So just being organized, you know, keeping good file systems, keeping good records and notes, um, those things definitely translate. I think most, I think most of the time as a superintendent and in the turf industry, you're having to adapt to um, imperfect kitchen conditions or circumstances, changing variables. And that's really no different here. You know, the changing variables really are, um, the changing variables really are 
the people I work with and it's their perspectives on things. And it might be, what can they afford to do? You know, cause every situation might offer, let's just say from a compensation standpoint, different parameters. So I have to really understand the scope and knowledge of, of my clients to give them best recommendations. No different than a superintendent. You know, you're dealing with different variables day in, day out, and you have to adjust and adapt um, every day. Absolutely. And Does that make sense? I, yo, for sure. Uh, absolutely. I sort of went through a couple things and went to your website. Um, on top of just the connecting and retaining and all the different things that you do with your relationships that you've built in your network, You've also sort of developed this, uh, and it might be with the cohort with the assistants, but this sort of training in a sense of um, the right way about going about leading a team, understanding what it takes to be an effective leader. Uh, could you sort of discuss how you developed that from your, what again, what you were as a superintendent and sort of put that into what a training, maybe, uh, I guess training is the right word for it. I could be wrong. Um, that you give to different superintendents across the world? Well, a lot of it all was based upon my personal experience of failing as a leader and, and understanding where my shortcomings were from, you know, anything as terms of communication with an employee to setting expectations with an employee, training of individuals and, and understanding generational differences personality differences, you know, so those experiences I, you know, I kind of kept in the, up in my head for, for many years. And I started realizing, man, there's a lot of insight here I can give. I think also though, being that person that was, you know, I'm not too far removed from being in college. I mean, 12 years seems like it might be a long time, but I, I can, I can connect with, with youth a lot better than most of my peers, but I also understand sort of the upbringing of most supervisors in the turf industry sort of came from the school of hard knocks. So I can relate to both generations. Um, and I kind of feel like I'm a conduit between them. So a, a lot of it is that personal hardship and the pain that I went through um, each step of the way in leadership and I'm very honest and I guess you could say vulnerable in the sense that I own my mistakes, even, even as a person that was trying to climb the ladder of where I may have uh, burned some relationships, uh, maybe, maybe didn't make the right decisions or uh, maybe didn't act as professional as I probably should have in certain circumstances. So those are the things that I share with, with today's youth and, and assistant managers, because it's really critical. Like you were saying, uh, there are a lot of shortcomings. It's not just you, obviously, but throughout the industry, whether it's golf, sports turf, um, or anything related to the green industry, um, if you could say, what do you think is probably the biggest issue that you've seen that as an industry, if we were able to overcome we could see sort of the industry sort of blossom and grow even more than it's already started to um, from what it was say even 10 years ago. So, you know, that can go in so many different layers. I'll take it from this angle. 
I think general awareness of our industry is something that, that, that we're missing. And that's kind of part of my messaging and part of my uh, role is to create awareness about the turf industry. I mean, it's a 93, $92 billion industry. Um, when you consider landscaping, golf, turf management, um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming horticulture as well. So the economic impact of the industry is huge. It's just the general job seeker or the, the local politician or school teachers, they have no concept of it because they think of greenkeeping, um, you know, sort of as a very maybe uneducated, unsophisticated career path. And that's just not the case. I mean, there's so many dynamic individuals in our industry, like I said, from landscape, horticulture, turf management, uh, golf courses, there's some really innovative people. And you think of all the technologies that we use, whether being drones, soil sensors, um, the fertility products and, and all the different products that are out there to utilize. Most people are very blown away at, at how in depth this job is. I always think of like my, my wife's friends when, when we were first started dating you know, they would ask me what I do. And um, at the time I'd been working at Oakmont Country Club out in Pittsburgh. And so they were pretty fascinated with the club knowing that, you know, it's hosts U.S. Opens, uh, perennially ranked as one of the top clubs in the world. Beautiful place. They had no, they, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just absolutely gorgeous, historic national landmark. And um, most of them had no concept that I actually had a degree in turf grass science. Right. So. I think just the general awareness of the career path is uh, super important. And I find that even from a recruiting standpoint, most, most job seekers don't know it exists. Um, so I think that's one, you know, serious hurdle. And I had a, I had a guidance counselor, I'll never forget this back in 2015, uh, tell me flat out that one of the biggest challenges we as a country club faced was the, the perception of it being a white stuffy male uh, environment where diversity and inclusion doesn't exist. And it's that's those kind of things hurt me because I know the game of golf and I know our industry is not that way at all, but we're not trying to, I think one of the biggest things too, is we try to sell ourselves to each other to prove each other, to prove that this is a great industry, but we're, our target audience isn't, isn't turf professionals. It's, it's the people that don't know we exist. So, and I think, you know, all the different associations are doing a fantastic job um, on that outreach. And there's also local outreach, you know, including your high school, what you do. So, you know, I, I think that's to me is like one of the biggest steps um, in terms of changing the perception of the industry is just being more, uh, more of an ambassador locally, statewide and making people aware of career opportunities Absolutely. And that's, that's one of the main goals of what we do. Uh, I mean, even if it's just bringing awareness to the fact that, you know what, there are people that care for home lawns that are making more money than you do in your college degree engineering job and stuff like that. Just understanding that like there is so much opportunity past just our area. So like you said, you're talking to people down in, uh, I guess Puerto Rico or something along the lines of where you're stretching way far beyond just the United States. Um, and it's, it's great. And it's incredible that that's one of your main goals. And again, I agree with you. That's probably one of the biggest issues we have as a, as a whole um, is making sure that people are aware 
of what we are doing uh, and who we are. Um, you go to a major league baseball game, you don't see the ground screw, you see the players, but the players don't get to play without the ground screw. Right. Um, so again, definitely. Um, so I, I'm actually in some educational leadership classes. So I'm going to throw a quote out at you. Uh, sorry to do that. Um, but uh, Eisenhower back in the day once said, uh, leadership is the art of getting someone else to do something you want done because he wants to do it. Um, with everything you're working towards and with your, your business and everything you're developing, could you sort of speak to how you're developing those leaders that are, like you said, now showing what this industry is and how great it is and having those young individuals figure it out on their own versus barking orders and having issues. And again, the retention rate goes down with leaders like that. How are you developing these leaders from sort of your position as a consultant? Well, I think it's philosophically... We're on. Perfect. So, I mean, I would tell you that each person, you know, the goal is to make them the best version of themselves. Give them a, a sense of ownership and establishing what their vision is for themselves, what their leadership philosophy is. Really try to extract from them what their individual motivations are and, and you know, understand self-awareness. Because you have to know yourself better than anybody. And sometimes those interactions uh, could, be, could be contributing towards other people's success or failure. Right? So it all starts with self-awareness. Um, you know, I think, I think there's something to be said. There's a lot of really good leadership examples. I try to, again instill ownership of who is it do you aspire to be, right? So for me, like I'm a sports guy, I love sports. And so the people I looked up to as sort of a, a mentor that I have no relationship with, but I look at a guy like Nick Saban. I might look at, a, at somebody like a Bill Belichick. Um, you know, it, it can be someone like that. It might be a personal friend, you know, a mentor, in the industry and those mentors change, right? So when I was in college, I aspired to, um, you know, work for a pretty elite group of superintendents, you know, uh, Mr. Paul Ladshaw, um, Matt Schaefer, Russ Myers, Job Simmers. Those were sort of my early mentors. And then, you know, you grow, you evolve. My mentors changed. Um, when I became a superintendent at Sparrows Point, my mentors were, were a guy by the name of Dean Graves. And, and I was fortunate to develop a relationship with another gentleman named Armin Suni. Armin Suni is an, a search executive for Copland, Keebler, and Wallace. You know, so those, those gentlemen had major influences um, each step of my career. And they, you know, I've always aspired to, like I said, just be the best version of myself. And I, I try to share that same insight with other people. Hopefully yeah, that's, that's helpful. 
That's that's great. Um, so you just brought up Sparrow Point, actually. Um, could you kind of talk about your time as a superintendent there, just like your day to day and, and um, you know, what kind of an experience you had? Yeah, I mean, great memories. Um, I, I, I cherish those relationships and um, all the learning experiences that I had there. I was 27 whole facility. And I was the, when I left there, I was the director of grounds and facilities. So I oversaw, you know, the 27 whole golf course day-to-day operations and then also facilities maintenance, mostly, mostly on the coordination standpoint. So if things needed to be repaired, replaced, updated, you know, I would help coordinate, whether it be in contractors, our own internal team, um, work orders, things of that nature. Uh, so again, very dynamic role. Uh, my, I kind of looked at myself as more of a coordinator than I was, you know, a hands-on superintendent. While I had to be at times, um, I, I definitely felt like I was more like a, a central coordinator. And I had a good team underneath me that really could implement the day-to-day operations. Sort of going along with that, um, and obviously the coordinating probably helped you get prepared for something like this. Uh, could you sort of speak, because again, we're, we're right near uh, Baltimore area. We're about an hour and a half, two hours away. Uh, in coordinating and planning growth of your golf course, especially 27 holes, uh, how difficult was that for you in the transition zone? Uh, experience in both sides of it. Uh, again, there's so many different things in our area with the unique climate, having those cold, harsh winters and the really hot summers. What are you doing to coordinate, to sort of uh, optimize the growth and to really, even along with your crew, to make sure that they're all still going during these sort of topsy-turvy uh, climates that most, most superintendents don't have to deal with uh, outside of our area? Yeah, I, I'll tell you, I, I have so much respect for uh, superintendents in the Baltimore, D.C., you know, Delmarva area because it is extremely, extremely challenging with weather, um, different grass types. So we were kind of that hodge, hodgepodge mixture of ryegrass, bentgrass, Bermuda grass, poa, um, you name it, we had it. So managing that, like, outside of completely converting to one grass species, I felt managing my water was always like priority number one. The drier we were, the better we were. Um, We certainly would get dinged up in areas where irrigation coverage wasn't the greatest, but, um, you know, definitely focused on soil health, building a good soil biology system. Um, You know, I think a lot of what our success was based upon communication and communicating expectations to the golfers and to the members um, are challenges, like not running from it, just hitting it straight, you know, straight on being direct about it and, you know, accommodate as best as we, as best as we could. There was infrastructure challenges with the property that were out of my hands. You know, it wasn't uh, fertilizer and fungicides weren't going to fix 20, 30 years of, I don't want to say neglect, but, neglect you can't overcome that um but what you can do is try to still provide the best experience you can by maximizing things like making sure you're mowing frequently changing cups your cups are straight your attention to detail um throughout the property there's not you know heavy weed infestation you don't have areas that are unmowed or unkept 
Um, you know, and then on the, on the, on the staffing side, it's kind of what I talked about earlier is, <clears throat> you know, finding time to connect with people, regardless if it was 99 degrees or it was 35 degrees, right. Making sure that we were very intentional about that and setting that on a schedule, not where it was so scripted, but you had something to look forward to. And I think that's oftentimes like people fall asleep in the summer and don't think about our people, but without our people, you can't, you can't implement business strategy, no matter what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so what kind of practices did you use from your organization as a superintendent and how were you able to measure the impact it had on your crew on the course? Hmm. Great question. <clears throat> well, I should have been using engagement surveys with, with the staff and just getting a real post, uh, a real pulse on uh, if, if people were aligned to the goals, if they were happy, but I, what I did do, I think was I was pretty frequent with communication um, just, just having a, if you're out on the golf course, you know, kind of coming through, checking, checking in on things, seeing how the progress of the mornings are going, just stopping and saying hello, engage with people like that simple tool. It's nothing, you know, scientific or uh, over the top, but it's just so simple things like that. I mean, again, attention to detail, you can see it. If the staff's engaged and if they're, you know, on point, your attention to detail is a lot better. If they're if they're disengaged, then they're thinking about things outside of work. They're, their pride kind of drops. So, you know, and that can be done in so many different ways, but just sometimes just interacting with people and asking them how their day is, um, what they have going on outside of work. Performance on the golf course, I mean, we measured using technology, whether it's the, the moisture meters, um, you know, keeping good records of stim meter readings. We would do our soil testing, fertility testing, things like that. Um, to, to, to measure, make sure that the health of the, of the golf course was always, you know, optimal. Absolutely. Uh, definitely. <laughs> We've had a few superintendents on and it's insane how much they have to deal with on a given day and use of technology and everything. It's really awesome. Um, what? So I'm curious, again, you were saying you were the director of all 27, again, everything. Um, what made you do the train well didn't make you what was your decision making process transitioning from something with a job like that into your business and sort of going all the way in on the business um side with everything i mean it's a it's a risk but at the same time you had to have a understanding of everything before doing it what was sort of that decision making process for you uh and making that jump Truthfully, <clears throat> I didn't see myself in Baltimore long term. And I always felt like there was like a there was something on my shoulder that was tugging me and pulling me and saying, we want to get back to Pennsylvania to where we were from. Um, Central Pennsylvania doesn't really have the, the depth of quality golf courses that I was looking to to maybe take that next jump at. And it's not that there's anything wrong with that. It just wasn't where I saw myself as being a superintendent. Um, so part of that as well was I kept coming up short on superintendent openings. I was like a bridesmaid, um, you know, second best runner up six, six or seven times. And it was so frustrating. Like, and I just, I don't know, it was, I kind of hit a crossroads where it was like, all right, if I'm, if I'm going to go to that next level club, I might actually have to take a step back and go work at a, a premier facility because, 
again, no disrespect to Sparrow's Point. I love it. Great people, great membership. Certainly cherish my time there. But Sparrow's Point doesn't have the name recognition or the pedigree, um, you know, that some of these other clubs had. And and guys that were getting those jobs and women that were getting those jobs were coming from, you know, name recognized places. And to sit here and say that that doesn't have influence, I would be, you know, I'd be naive. So. It, it sort of was like, for me, there was no risk in jumping into what I was doing because I, I really planned it out. Like I, I knew that things would evolve as with any business, there'd be sort of a trial and error period. I kind of knew what my bread and butter would be, but it might to get to where I'm at now might take some trial and error. Um, I never saw it as a risk. I know certainly my parents did. I'm sure there was many people out there that probably thought what the heck's this guy doing. Um, I believed in myself. And I think that's also like one of the key things that I learned as being a superintendent is you got to be confident in your abilities because you got members, you have people who are constantly beating you down. Um, you might have staff that question, you know, your decision-making and I believe in myself and I always have. Um, and if you, if you don't trust yourself and you don't believe in yourself, you're never going to be successful. Um, you, you have to have that confidence. So, I, I think was I also evaluated the industry as a whole, knowing that labor was was you know the number one issue, and taking a look at a scope of what do other what do other consultants do and what value do they bring, and I kind of felt well, geez, you know, if this is the number one issue, and I can help support organizations by improving recruitment and retention and development of people, there's a serious. Uh, there's a serious opportunity here for me. You start running numbers and thinking about, okay, if this is what an average consultant makes per agreement, you know, how many of those am I going to need to be sustainable? Right. And then I, I think I'm, I'm one of those people who thinks outside the box. I'm pretty, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm innovative in the sense that I, I try to align with people who think outside the box and aren't afraid to take a risk. And, um, you know, hard work. I mean, no matter what I did, if I was going to be a superintendent, I have to work my ass off. It's part of my French, but you have to work my butt off. And I kind of like the idea that I work for myself. And I like the idea that I could work with like-minded individuals, superintendents, sports turf managers, education systems that are trying to help other people improve uh, their personal and professional lives. So why not align myself with those kind of people versus taking orders from, you know, people who don't really know my job. You know, there's, there's a lot of variables. I think the other thing that pushed us, you know, to make that leap of faith was sort of out of necessity. My, my wife lost her job during COVID and most people don't know this, but uh, she, she lost her job. And we essentially, again, we're at that crossroads where we had no family support my second daughter was born in April of 2020 and we just kind of looked at her situation and said, listen, why don't we just reboot like total, I don't need to get out of the industry, different roles, similar goals. And I'm going to go in a different trajectory. Um, I, I also felt too, like that I could get back in the golf course industry if I needed to and if, and I say that like not needed to, but if I wanted to jump back into being an assistant, I could do that easily. Um, I don't, I don't want to have any regrets and look back and say, why didn't I make this jump? I mean, I'm only 33. So, 
I didn't want to look back and say what, what could have been like, I'd rather put the bet on myself and say, I gave it everything I got. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. So, you know, out of necessity, we re relocated to get family support, which we, we just didn't have. And, and that happens, you know, that happens a lot in the industry where people have to make those decisions. Absolutely. And it's really inspirational again. And I love how you said it. You didn't see it as a risk. You were confident. You, you trusted yourself. And again, that's incredible. So thank you for that. Um, with sort of what, when you evaluated and you said you saw everything sort of come together and see, this is the part that I can help with. Um, with what you do, you have to have a lot of passion for what, again, what a turf manager does and for what, just everyone in the green industry as a whole. Um, did you sort of speak to where you first got that passion and how it came to the point again, where you started to pursue a job in the golf industry? Um, and again, taking that leap and seeing that I'm extremely passionate about this. This is how I can help what I love. Uh, and again, create this consulting company, you know? I think that passion came from my love for the game of golf. Like I, I started playing when I was six years old. I mean, I grew up watching Tiger Woods on weekends. You know, I came up in the Tiger Woods generation. Um, you know, so inherently I just love being around the golf the game of golf. I love, I love the interaction with members. Um, I, I played golf, you know, all through high school competition and um, you know, the connection that you can have in golf really was uh, my passion. You know, the turf industry sort of was just, you know, uh, a branch of that. And I've, and I've, I think I've been motivated by the people I've surrounded myself with. Cause I'm, I'm, I surround myself with very, I think very highly motivated people who, um, you know, want to succeed. And when you're, when you surround yourself with those kind of people, it gets you, you know, it, it drives you. Um, I think that, you know, I certainly wouldn't, I'd be lying if I didn't say there's sort of a chip on my shoulder a little bit to, you know, prove myself that the jump I made was well worth it. And, and not only just for me, but to help other people, there's a lot of Tyler Blooms out there that aren't getting jobs that deserve the opportunity. And I, and I think I, I respect that and understand that and want to help those people. There's younger people that are just getting started in their career paths and they maybe need some mentorship. And look, I'm not the only person out there that's a good men that could be a good mentor. There's plenty of people, but I think I can connect a lot. I can make those connections. Um, yeah. So the, I don't know. I'm just a driven person. I've just always been in competitive sports, always been focused on trying to be the best that I could be. Um, that might sound really cliche, but I'm not driven by money. I can tell you that money is sort of secondary to me. Like I think most people would, would have, would say that, you know, I, I didn't jump in this just for money. I, I drove in this to help make change, positive change in the industry. Absolutely. And uh, that actually kind of leads into the, the next question. Um, how would you describe uh, the industry as a whole and also the people that you've worked with throughout the industry? Can you say that to me one more time? Yeah, sorry. Uh, how would you describe the industry as a whole and the, the different people you've worked with and who you're working with currently? It's super dynamic. I mean, you could find all walks of life. 
um, very diverse uh, people with very different backgrounds, upbringings, you know, core values. So it's a really, it's a pretty dynamic industry in that you can, you can build relationships and connections with people all across the world, you know, through the turf and golf industry, sports turf community as well. It's really a community. Um, I think that, I think that, uh, hmm, man, it's a great question. It's, again, it's just a very, it's a very passionate, people take, take their jobs very seriously, very personally at times. Um, kind of say like, you know, you can catch the turf bug, you know, it's kind of like, I hear that, I hear that phrase oftentimes. Um, there's just something in, like infectious about it, right? You get involved with it and, and whether it's the continued education, people want to, people want to help and support people and see them succeed. You know, you don't see too many professions like that. Like, you know, lawyers don't call other firms, you know, for, for necessarily insights, their competition, right? Um, banks don't call, don't call PNC doesn't call Wells Fargo for tips and advice, right? They're caught, they're competitors. And as competitive as we are, I think, you know, there's sort of a, a brotherhood and sisterhood uh, to see people succeed and see business succeed because we're all contributing to, you know, the bigger picture is environmental stewardship and we're, we're here to grow the game of golf. So that's why I think it's such a unique and dynamic profession and it's ever changing. You know, five, 10 years ago, the industry was totally different than what it is today and it's going to be different five, 10 years from now. Absolutely. Uh, and again, this next question might be a little hard because again, you're doing so much good for the industry and you're, you're making these connections and you're doing so much for individuals and organizations. What has been the most re rewarding part of your career? Um, again, that doesn't have to be during your consulting time. It can be during your superintendent time, whenever, whatever is the, the sort of the pinnacle little golf ball term there of <laughs> what you have achieved in your time in the industry? I think each year has its own story, right? And has its own success. So it's hard to like say one specific thing. I mean, obviously landing my first superintendent's job, like it's so competitive to land one. I don't care what level of club you're at. It is so competitive with really qualified people. Um, that was certainly a highlight. I think being involved with all the teams that I've been around, you know, from an intern all the way up to, you know, superintendent. Now the teams that I'm involved with, like in my consulting, like it's certainly a privilege. Um, you know, I'm honored to say <clears throat> I worked with 30, 30 of my coworkers are now superintendents across the country. You know, people that I worked in the trenches with, <clears throat> I don't know many people that could say that. Right. So the, the, the reach that I have in the network of, people like literally I worked side by side with not, you know, peers, people I worked in and with are, are superintendents at some of the best clubs in the country. Um, you know, that's, that's pretty rewarding. I would say from, uh, you know, this, as a superintendent, anytime a member, I guess, you know, walked away having a great experience, each one was kind of special, you know, in a way, um, I think from a staffing perspective, 
try to make an impact on young people and share my insight of my, like I, like I said, my failures and, and successes and seeing them have successes is like super rewarding. Seeing people now who have, you know, they're, they're struggling with this labor aspect and it's not, it's not due to lack of effort or due to um, maybe, you know, being a poor manager, it's just, it's, it's hard to recruit people like seeing them happy, you know, that they're getting people engaged in the industry, I think is super rewarding uh, as well. So it's just, it's, it's really, really hard to define just one thing. Um, yeah. It's all been, it's all been great experiences. Definitely the relationships are the, the pinnacle though. I've just been so fortunate to, one, have been mentored by really good people and, and two, work with really awesome, you know, awesome teammates. And then three, just kind of building a community around me right now. Yeah, that's, that's really great. Um, so if there's something that you could tell yourself just starting off through in, in the industry that you think would help in your career and better prepare you for your job, what would you tell yourself? listen, <laughs> listen more than speak. <laughs> um, I would just say to be patient. Like it's such a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And uh, just be a good teammate. Good. Be a good person that, you know, you want others around you to have a positive experience. Uh, keep your mouth shut early on. You know, don't pretend to have all the answers. Keep your mouth shut and learn there's a lot of really, really qualified, skilled people that um, know way more than I do at a lot of things, right? I, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in all things. I don't even know if I'm an expert in, I don't even know if I'm the expert right now in talent acquisition. I think I'm just somebody who saw an opportunity and is, you know, trying to coordinate and lead. Um, and then I think that's the last thing is just lead by example. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to jump in a ditch don't be afraid to do the dirty work um, because those are the kind of experiences that can really help you, you know, grow as a mentor and a superintendent or whatever, whatever you define to do, choose to do. Absolutely. That's, that's great advice just for anybody. Um, so from your point of view, how have you seen like COVID, uh, you know, affect the industry and, and how do you think the industry can move past it? Or how do you see that happening within the next couple of months, hopefully? Well, I mean, I think for the golf industry, COVID's been, a, in some ways, has been a great thing because it's driven people to get re-engaged with, with the game of golf and recreational sports. So I think it's actually been really good. Um, we have to capitalize on it, right? And so people need to have the resources in place to support that those expectations. Um and, the, and a lot of that's not always dictated by the superintendents. There's other people that are making those decisions. Um, I, you know, I, I'm just thinking of things positively. I, I guess I'm, I guess recently I haven't really thought about the negative consequences of COVID because all, all I hear pretty much everywhere I go is all on the positives that rounds are up. Golf is golf is in good, you know, recreational sports, you know, being outside is positive. So you know, just capitalize it, use that message, you know, back to like creating awareness. We need to jump on this opportunity to really spread awareness about the benefits of, of, of turf grass management as a whole. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think there's been a lot of, and it's funny cause I actually didn't golf during COVID, which is weird, but it, everyone I know is going back to the courses. Everybody's like, Oh, I haven't done it in so long. It was the only way to get out of the house, stuff like that. So it's, it's definitely been a, excuse me, a huge uptick in play, which is great. Um, so here's the big question. Uh, what is your aspirations for your business? What it, where do you want to be? And I go, this is like the, the typical question in an interview. Where do you see it going in 10 years, in five years? Where do you see it going from right now, here today, talking to our students even, you know? Um, where, where do you see it going? And sort of what is your plan moving forward without giving us the good stuff, you know? Financially, how about is that what you're looking for? Like, no, just <laughs> just like, yeah. do you plan on growing it? Are you going to try and add uh, maybe a couple people to your staff? Is it going to be again, sort of what you're doing now? Just sort of moving forward, do you see this growing into something even bigger than what it already is? And it could oh, be no financially, question. it could be whatever yeah. you want. Um, just sort of, what are your hopes, uh, being where you're at now, and how it's grown so much even since. Uh, pretty much less than a year, you know? Yeah. I've actually hired two people um, that are more of like backend support, you know, for me, they, they do administrative type things. They uh, help out with marketing, things of that nature. And and they're not full-time employees. It's, you know, contract or part-time engagement. So, um, you know, right now is making sure I've got the foundation to be successful not only for my customers, but, you know, business growth, like, you know, there's got to be time spent on marketing, strategic planning. So right now I'm, I'm really trying to make sure that I set a great foundation because yeah, I want to scale this nationally. Like I don't want to be, you know, I didn't get into this to be average. I got in it to be the best. Like I, if you go on my company website, I've put in there, my vision statement is to be the most trusted resource locally and globally in relation to talent strategy and talent acquisition. So to do that, you've got to have the right setup, the right foundation and the right ecosystem in place to, to be able to scale a business. Um, you know, I think, I think each individual client relation is personalized and for each of them, you know, we want to define their success story and we want to give them tools that are sustainable, not just, you know, I'm not snake oil. Like this is not quick rich. Like I didn't, it's not a quick rich scheme because it's a lot of work that's got to be put into place to build those relationships and trust. Not even just from the client standpoint, I'll be honest with you, the trust is really on the candidates and those relations. You know, high school is not going to engage with Tyler Bloom if they know that my business partner isn't teaching and isn't mentoring. So there's a lot of emphasis on what I do and, and empowerment into those business partners to make sure that they're actually going to spend the time teaching and coaching. Um, you know, so where is it 10 years from now? I think I was pretty clear on what my, what my goal is. Um, I didn't get into this. Ironically, it's interesting. I, I conducted those executive level searches. I didn't get into this to do that. It sort of just happened naturally. Like those connections just sort of happen naturally. So, you know, I, I'm probably more vision oriented than goal oriented. And whatever kind of comes up along the way, it's probably going to be outside of golf too. You know, golf will always be sort of my bread and butter and turf will always be my bread and butter. But I think using golf as like a, and turf management sport as a, 
as a center point, everything that I it's like to any business, whether it's tech, health, rights I've created and, and build and extend just this industry. So, um, yeah, it's exciting. It's like I said, I mean, I didn't think 10 months ago that I'd be conducting two superintendent searches or working with Central Park, New York City. Um, I certainly didn't think like, I think my year one goal, um, I think my year one goal was honestly to have business relationships in any state that touched Pennsylvania. And I'm already down into Florida all the way out to Washington. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, Dominican Republic. So it's kind of like, you know, yeah, why not? Coverage. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, why not, right? Like, why why can't it be? Why can't I get into working with NFL teams? Why couldn't I get into working with, you know, professional sports teams or colleges? Um, I don't really see why that couldn't happen. But you got to have the right – you got to have the right team around you that can implement that vision and that are going to be equally passionate about coming to represent, whether it's Tyler Bloom Consulting or whatever it might be. They've got to be bought into – they're making a change for, for not only the, the employers, but the employees. Absolutely. And, and I, I think it's awesome. Again, I, I think the fact that it's sort of like on the unknown side is really great. And the fact that you're, you're open to whatever comes your way is, is a great way, a great outlook on how to approach something like this with like consulting even, um, and I'm sure it'll be bigger and bigger every single year. And that's what we hope for. So, um, so we sort of wrap it up same way for each of our, our podcasts. Um, because since this, we have all of our high schoolers here, um, we usually ask, do you have any words of wisdom, uh, for our students sort of going forward in life, heading out the door, graduation, walking across that stage, sort of like the what's next, um, we have ranging from seniors to freshmen in here. And again, seniors, you're, you're right at the foot. You're right there. Um, so anything that you would say, uh, just best advice going forward and uh, entering sort of the world, whether it's college, job, whatever, like you said, college isn't necessary, but like what would be your best words of advice for them? Wow, there's a lot of really cool information that I've been, you know, that has been motivational for me. But I, I think like get really clear on what your core values are and what's important to you. You define your success. You don't have to follow the script or the path, the conventional pathway. Um, don't be afraid of failure. Like I fail every day. And I, but I, I go for it every single day. There's not a day that I hold back, you know, so I'm not afraid of failure. Um, and I, and I think that's important to get comfortable with that aspect. And, um, you know, my kind of my credo for me is pursue excellence in everything that you do, not just professionally, but life, your, your engagements with your family, your friends, constantly strive to be better at what you do every single day and you know things work out really really well um, yeah i'd say that those are some pretty good nuggets to leave off absolutely um i, I just want to say thank you 
um your passion really is inspiring and just sort of your whole story it's been so great for the kids to hear um and we we can't thank you enough for taking the time uh especially with the setting you're in and taking the time during that kind of setting we really do appreciate it uh what do you guys say thank you thank you so much thank you yeah i appreciate the opportunity and uh just love what you're doing for the industry i mean i think it's so cool that uh what you've developed there and each one of you should have significant personal pride um you have the industry at you have the industry that's really watching this program and what you've done as a, as a model of how to do this in other areas of the country. So be extremely proud of what you've done. We, we really appreciate that. Um, and again, with all your help, we, we really do. Uh, we try to uh, strive to be better each and every day, just like you and your, your business. So again, we can't thank you enough.